What's up, guys? Welcome into a weekend edition of the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, and we have a pretty, pretty boring set of events right now. I mean, we are in the midst of a, a tough time, and we have some great plans in terms of some content and look-aheads coming in the next few weeks. But as we hit the weekend, I still like to put out some content, and I'm not sure that people get to enough of the Twitch shows, so I do like to reshare those. So I'm going to reshare the OBR Weekly with Fred Greetham and Barry McBride momentarily. Not much new in the Browns news circuit. If you look up the Cleveland Browns right now, it's it's a lot of opinion and think pieces and analysis tied to Deshaun Watson and talking about how the Browns are still committed to the $230 million contract, as obviously they would have to be right now. The only piece of non-Deshaun Watson news, which is all negative, is that Miles Garrett continued to be the great guy that he is and did a watch party for Jurassic World. He did that over in Valley View. It was really cool. He signed autographs. Some other players were there with him, and he just continues to be such a positive influence in the community, man. Like Cleveland's just very lucky to have Miles Garrett. I think he's a great dude, great person. Obviously, fantastic football talent as well. So check that out. There's a pretty cool video on his experience there and showing up and supporting the fans and taking the time to do the things that Miles Garrett seems to take the time to do. So really cool. Otherwise, not much going on, as I always say. Right now, just don't want to deal with too much of the of the Watson stuff. Continue to try to push this forward, looking at the upcoming season, as I've already talked about. We hope to get John Colosimo post-Top Gun viewing tomorrow night, have him on to chat, and maybe have a little better episode for Sunday. But for now, I think Barry and Fred had a great show this week. They cover the latest OTA session and have a bunch of other topics that they answer. Check out yesterday's episode with Andrew Spade and myself on the first OBR mailbag show, uh, that is, like I said, uh, available for your consumption as well. Otherwise, thanks for joining me today. I'm going to pass it off to the guys' show. Appreciate your support, guys. Check back in on Sunday. I have a new episode. And then Monday as well, as we will link up with Brad Ward, I think is who we'll get with on that day. Otherwise, enjoy this replay of the OBR Weekly. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good evening, Browns fans, and welcome once again to the Wednesday night tradition at 7 p.m. OBR Weekly. Uh, my name is Barry McBride. I'll be attempting to host this evening as we talk with the legend, Mr. Freddie Greedham. Let me add Freddie to the stream. There he is. How you doing, Fred? I'm here. Doing good. Good, Straight good. The practice field in Berea. Yeah, Literally. where you where you watched every single one of those eighty players and give it, can give us detailed reports about how how they did, right? Just you're yeah, like a I mean, computer I'm, out there. I think those people that <clears throat> write me expect me to. I hear from them like, <laughs> "What? How's this guy look?" And I'm like, "Oh, I forgot he's on the team." Oh, not really, <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's so, tough it's tough it's just a big crowd of people out there some of them doing this that and the other thing right yeah it's tough when there's 53 once the season you know gets going you know <laughs> let alone yep. when you're at 90 you know i think they have had eight missing today but that's still pushing 80 82 i think yeah yeah absolutely um we are going to uh once again call on visitors to the chat room uh, to bail me out with my week preparation uh, with your comments and questions. 
And uh, as always, we will try to get to all of those uh, during the course of the show. Uh, sometimes we're not successful, but generally we are. You know, even when we're not successful, I think we get 90% of them. So um, we already have uh, some people uh, offering their comments in the, uh, in the chat room. And uh, let's start off with some positive news, Fred. How, how does that sound? Um, there's a lot of negativity around the team right now. But that negativity does not seem to extend to their uh, fourth-round draft pick, Mr. Cade York, who was uh, apparently nailing kicks today in the OTAs. Uh, first time you guys have seen him kick, right? Yeah, because they haven't had any goalposts out there. You know, in the previous two OTAs that we watched, they were over on the side, like, disassembled i don't know if they were refurbishing them or painting them or what but they weren't out on the field um they were today and he was out there actually kicking he had been kicking at the stadium according to the coaches but yeah they had him near the end of practice line up and they started up close and kept moving back and by my count he made seven out of eight the one he missed it looked like almost like one of my golf shots that he, that he hit the turf a little early and it went to the left, but not by much actually, but couldn't really see, but based on the distance, I estimated about 60 yards, some more exact colleagues, one had it at 58 and one had it at like 63. (laughs) So it just depends on how far the goalpost was set up behind the goal line. It's traditionally 10 yards. Um, some of them were saying it wasn't quite or whatever, but anyway, he looked pretty good. He looked very confident on the last one, that 60 yard or whatever it was, all the, I don't know if they were betting on it or what, but the whole defense was jumping up and down and screaming and yelling (laughs) and they sounded like junior high kids and he put it right through the middle, but yeah, very impressive young man. Hopefully, you know, he continues you know, when it, when it really starts. And, you know, I think when you draft a guy from LSU, you know, or any big school like Ohio state, they're used to playing in front of a hundred thousand people. And, right. you know, and if they're on the national title games, it's as big an audience. I don't know if it's as big as the super bowl, but in other words, they've been there, done that. I'd rather have a kicker from those colleges than, you know, from no disrespect, but a division three or division two or, or right. even a, a non big conference team that isn't playing in the big games. Yeah. On a regular basis. So he has, he's done that. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I was pretty impressed with what I saw today. I tweeted out a couple of the kicks and got a lot of response. I, I saw about 30,000 people have viewed it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, um, you know, I think people are looking for any bit of good news uh, these days. Um, of course, the Deshaun Watson thing is out there. We've got a question on that already. Uh, we, uh, uh, the Browns are getting, are city councils trying to get them to take the first energy name off the, stadium you know it's just not i i do the newswire every morning and i haven't been able to post a lot of good stuff and i think kate york uh is a positive story um you know not only does he have composure but uh he could finally solve our place kicker you know issues that we've had for a decade you know Uh, well i don't think i don't think the first energy naming rights is in the ballpark obviously is Deshaun Watson and you know the the black cloud that you know is hanging over and all these practices and all these interviews with the coaches and even the players we talked to John Johnson he was asked about Watson quite a bit you know and they all get drug into this is this is a really really good team this is the best rostered team I've ever seen and I thought last year's was and this is better than last year's. And this this is just hanging over the, the entire team. Nobody can get excited because everybody's waiting to know what the bomb is, you know. 
You thought mm-hmm. that they had this all under control and they made the trade. Okay, no criminal. Boom. But it's just continually drip, drip, drip. Bad news every day is is kind of bringing everybody, you know, what, what I think that the attorney for the plaintiffs is trying to do is bring everybody down and get the court of public opinion just to say, you know, this is of no use. Let's just give them all a million dollars and, and go home, you know, or yeah. something. And the longer it goes on, it's kind of what I said, the longer that that hangs over. And then you get to the point of no return where you feel bad, even if it's settled. You're like, well, we got this guy as a quarterback, you know? And so it's just, you know, one of them things that you just want to get it behind you and you just don't know if it will all truly be behind you. I think just my estimated guess, they can say all they want about waiting and want to prove themselves not guilty, but I think they're just kind of waiting for the NFL to, lower whatever they're going to do and then Mm -hmm. you can go settle it it makes no sense to settle it now you know because then you're then you're admitting something before you have to if they lower the boom say hey you're out a season or 10 months or whatever it is or 10 games then okay then go settle it and and get the whole thing behind you but I mean, I don't even like the idea of just saying no suspension, wait until next year. Mm-hmm. And now I think they're past that point. So, yeah, I'm yeah. tired of talking about it. I'm tired of listening to the questions by my colleagues about it. I know they, they're told they have to ask that stuff, but, you know, you're not getting any information from the people that really are directly involved anyway. So, anyway. Yep. Well, hey, uh, <laughs> exactly. Kate York, good news. Um, you know, I didn't prepare any Deshaun Watson comments or questions for today's show. Um, but that doesn't mean that you in the audience can't ask us. You know, we don't bring any special expertise in terms of understanding the law or really understanding even the NFL's, you know, rather hidden processes for determining discipline. Uh, we'll talk as much as we can about it, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's not the, you know, uh, area of our expertise, really, when you get to legal issues, uh, certainly not in my case. Uh, but Fumble 13 does ask a question about it. He says, it sounds to me like the Texans were knee deep in the Watson massage debacle. If that is proven, do you think that they lose draft picks at the least? And uh I, you know, I have absolutely no idea what the NFL is going to do. You know, I'm not one of these guys who says, oh, it's going to be six games or it's going to be 12 games or there's no way you can play it all this season. Um, You know, he already sat out a year. We don't know what's going through Goodell's head, but, you know, we do know that the publicity is increasingly bad and that would logically have the NFL – go ahead and do something uh, substantial in the discipline department, um, you know, as it goes along. As far as the Texan losing draft picks, I don't think they'll lose the draft picks. We traded them, and that's all I really care about. Uh, I don't think there's any way to uh, unwind uh, that trade. Uh, but the Texans might be in, in for some discipline uh, if they were proven, you know, to have issues with uh, or, you know, complicit in some way. Um, particularly if they knew anything about what was happening. Um, but uh, I can't tell you what that would be. Uh, and I can't tell you whether the Houston Texans are, in fact, culpable in any way. Fred, do you, do you have anything to, to add to my aimless wandering? No. Um, just before we came on, I saw something that the attorney for the plaintiffs th- said that the Texans were – were added to the lawsuit against Watson. And it didn't make sense to me because it sounded like he was using information from the Texans, you know, on these non-disclosure and setting up the hotels and that to kind of add to the case. So that would seem like they'd be going at 
the Texans not joining the case with the plaintiffs. So mm-hmm. I don't understand if it's these women against the Texans and Watson or against Watson and then a separate one against the Texans. But anyway, it's not good. It just, I think it just ups the ante of deeper pockets. You know, mm-hmm. obviously Watson's got deep pockets, but the Houston Texans have deeper pockets, but that would kind of refute the idea that, the owner of the Texans, you know, was friends with the lawyer, you mm-hmm. know, that, that was putting them up to it. <laughs> Unless some, I just didn't make sense to me. It has to be against the Texans, not, you know, as complicit, not like the Texans are joining all these women against Watson. No. So, no, you know, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know what any of it really means. And it's just, you know, it's like we're all saying it just it just doesn't get any better. You just want some, you know, some closure, you know, whatever it is. You know, it's like anything. If you're right. sick, you just want to get it over with. If you're getting a shot, you want to get the shot. You don't right. want to sit around, and keep thinking about it. And that's that's where we're at. It's just kind of they just keep coming out with more stuff to make you. I What I really think NFL wise is I read somewhere discovery, whatever that is, is all the evidence has to come in by June 30th. And I think realistically, that's what the NFL is doing is so they can say they waited until they got all the information and then they can make their ruling. And I think conveniently that would be like about the 4th of July weekend Mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll dump it. And it's past when all the Browns and all the people we talk to are on vacation. And we will not hear anything until training camp. There'll be a statement they'll put out saying we respect the move by the NFL or whatever and da, 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 da. And that'll be it. We won't really know or talk to anybody involved till at least training camp is the way I think. Because I don't see anything happening between now and next Thursday when we finish our time with the Browns until training camp. So, right. You know, 14th to the 16th is that mini camp mandatory. And then, and then there's nothing till the end of July. And I think the NFL will dump something about, you know, June 30th, July 1st, 2nd, 3rd, that weekend of the holiday. Yeah, uh, they'll dump it somewhere in the news desert uh, where people aren't paying much attention to the NFL, uh, and uh, we'll go from there. Um, But, you know, what they'll do is they'll probably announce it on on July 4th when you're trying to be out at a picnic or something, so we all have to scramble to get in on the site. Um, That's just the way I think. Yeah, I will. (laughs) I'll write something quick. It'll be a bad article and uh, probably composed under the influence. Um, Let's get to this question from B. Surratt. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, He asks, is it smart to play Newsom in the slot and then back to the outside, causing him to play 100% of the snaps, seeing how he had an injury history in college in first year with the Browns? Um, You know, Today, we were talking to John Johnson. He said that Denzel Ward's also playing some in the slot. So um, they're not just going to have him 100%, uh, you know, in the slot and then moving the outside. They're really, I think, going to have a rotation. I think Newsom would probably be the first in line. And I think Ward will do some. And I think that they'll probably you know, AJ Green might get a turn and uh, Martin Emerson might get a turn. And I think they'll rotate around Greedy Williams, you know, who he wasn't there today, but as far as the, the majority, I think will be rotated. That's all they talk about Joe Woods and the defensive backs and the coaches his versatility, being able to do inside outside. In fact, John Johnson said you might even see Ronnie Harrison playing the slot. You might see Grant Delpit playing the slot. And so it sounds like, you know, if Joe Woods has got five defensive backs out there, you know, any one of them could be 
move from a safety to a slot. I think as fans, it's easy to start pigeonholing and saying, okay, this is the starter. This is this guy. Right. They're trying to get it so they have mix and match. And it also is good with injuries, as many injuries as we see and we've seen in the COVID era that you lose guys at the last moment. So you're not stuck. You got guys that are, you know, adverse and and can play some of these other positions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Greedy Williams uh, was playing some outside. Are you seeing him just play outside during obvious passing downs? Uh, You know, with Newsom playing uh, outside or going into the slot during those downs, or uh, is it difficult to tell from what's going on at practice? Well, I think we'll have to see more in training camp, but I think um, it'll be more. I think his first thing is outside. That's what he ended up playing last year and and was his most effective out there. And I think that when they go to three wide receivers, it makes sense to move Newsom inside and Williams to the outside guy. He's got more what they call length. He's longer and generally those guys are a little better against the the outside wide receivers than the slot guys. The slot guys are maybe a little shiftier and smaller, quicker. And that's why I think Newsom, you know, would tend to be better there or a Denzel Ward. So I think they'll, I think they'll mix it around and stuff, but you know, I, I haven't seen greedy in the slot that much. Right. Right. Um, another Watson question. This comes from Eagle and one. He wants to know, is it even possible that Watson can get slammed this year and next year? I think we've talked about that in the past, Fred, as, as being a possibility. Do you think that the NFL wants to get this all over with now? Uh, or do you think that they might, uh, do something next year based on the outcome of civil trials? Well, I've said this before. I don't have any basis on this, but I think they want to get it over as quick as they can and get it behind them as well, because, you know, they want a good product out there and they don't want on national games, you know, of, you know, constantly talking about this black cloud hanging over the Browns and so forth. I mean, whether you agree with whatever, once it's behind them, it's behind them. Then you're talking about, you know, the settlement or whatever, you know, transpired. So that's why I said, I think that the lawyers and them on Watson's side and why he's maintained that he doesn't want to settle is because they're waiting for the NFL to come out with their ruling. Because if you, if you settled now, you're admitting you did something wrong to some degree and then they can suspend you. And you know, then there could be other things come up. I would think that if they issue their discipline, unless they have an asterisk and say, okay, we're giving you this much, but we we reserve the right to do it again, then you settle it. And then everything they have is the end of it. Because mm. if they have the discovery or whatever that has to be in by the 30th of June, that's just me. I'm not a lawyer, but That's when you go settle is, okay, now we know the punishment. Let's get it all behind us. Let's take our medicine this year. And so there's nothing next year. Because that, to me, is the worst thing is to have something this year, have all off season, something else comes out, and then you got to do it again next year, you know, because, you know, depending on, on settlement and that, I don't know if if these people can continually come out of the woodwork and keep suing or, or what, I mean, it's my understanding this kind of a class action suit, or you got a bunch all with one attorney. Um, Mm. I know that they're doing it individually, but it just seems, you know, it's, it's, it behooves them to just get it over with and not go case by case. That would take, four or five years, I would guess, you know, to drip, drip, drip. So I don't know. I'm just saying NFL drop their hammer and then go get it settled. Even if you don't think you did anything wrong, just, just get it over with. 
I, uh, if we're talking about this this time next year, uh, I'm going to need a lot more booze uh, to get me through the off season. Uh, it is uh, tiring already, <laughs> and I don't want to be talking about it again next season. Um, but, uh, you know, it is a possibility, and if so, we have to live with it and we have to move forward with it. Next question comes from Paul Spencer. He says, Fred, you've been a member of the press corps for decades and have obviously seen a lot. Give us a sense of what the mood and murmurs are among you and your colleagues uh, over all these recent developments in the Deshaun Watson case. Um, different reporters seem to handle it differently, right, Fred? I mean, uh, um, some are very focused on this issue, some are not, it seems. Yeah, I mean, there's one prominent uh, beat writer that has left the beat. Um, I can't say it's because of this, but I think it led to it. Um, And there's other reporters that ask a lot of questions about this. I think they're very kind of anti-Watson. I mean, it's hard to, you know, to... You know, for some of them, just by the questions, they kind of lead where they're at. But I've talked to some off. I mean, one thing unanimous, we're all wanting to get this over with. We're tired of talking Mm -hmm. about this stuff. And we want to just talk about football. and, And like I said, this is a really good team. And But you take the quarterback out of the equation, and that makes a big difference. And so... You know, I don't think everybody's so excited if it's Jacoby Brissett. I right. mean, you're like, oh, wow, you know. I think that's a even a, a big drop from Baker Mayfield, my personal opinion. Right, and, right. And so, but I don't, they won't even cover that, what happens if Watson isn't available. I mean, they're still doing the day-by-day. We're not saying anything. Excuse mm-hmm. Mayfield from minicamp, mandatory minicamp. A lot of people said, you know, he had to come because you get fined about 100000 a day and he'd show up. Well, he's not coming. They excused him. But mm-hmm. we're all just tired of it. I think that um, that's a given. Um, none of us really know, you know, what's what's going to happen and what kind of a, you know, cloud this this will continually put we want to talk about the browns because it behooves people being interested in in reading or hearing us just like this show but you know you're going to have some that are turned off you're going to have some that you know are just ready to move on i think that's the one common theme is most of us just want to move on and get back to the old days of just covering football but really, with that said, no, none of us really want to go back and watch a one and thirty-one team, you know, play again. We want to see a good team. We've been waiting for a good team for a long time to cover, and it just seems like this just taints everything for all of us because because we're covering the Browns, you know, like well, we're bad people because we didn't disown it, you know. Well, that's our job. That's what we do, and we try to report on what's going on but it's kind of hard when that's intertwined into everything because that is the bottom line with almost everything for this season is what happens to number four is he play does he not play how long does he not play and on and on right right well let me, let me ask you this you know with Mayfield excuse from minicamp um I don't want to talk about Baker. I personally think the coaching staff lost all confidence in him. Uh, and that's why they don't want to put him out there. That's why they don't want to even entertain the notion of him coming back. Um, you know, there's no one who is local who's really calling for Baker to come back. That all comes from national pundits or whatever. Um, and I, I guess they, they didn't watch enough of Baker in action last year. They're just done with him. But do you think that it's possible, Fred, that if the suspension does come down, that the team will look at uh, a veteran like a Sam Darnold or uh, Jimmy Garoppolo uh, as 
perhaps leading them through if it's a, say, a year-long suspension? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, they've already spent a lot of money at the quarterback position. You got $19 million on Mayfield, and I get all that stuff. That's why, again, it comes back to how long is, is the guy out? You know, if they come down and said today he's out for a year, okay. I think there's some options that maybe, you know, Mayfield would know that, you would know that. And mm-hmm. you. that comes down to you. Do you really think that you are better off with Jacoby Brissett and Josh Dobbs versus bringing back Mayfield? I don't care what he thinks about the whole situation. He has no choice right. if he wants to play football. But I get the whole thing that they feel like they've already cut the ties and why, you know, bring it back. So there's just too many, you know, they've spent all this money. They got a lot of money in the guys in the prime of their career. And and you got Jacoby Brissett. If he's out for the majority of the season, are you really just going to, say, you know, let's, we're just tanking the season. We'll do the best we can, but we'll, you know, you might be eight and nine again with Jacoby Bursett, even with this roster. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're going to go to the playoffs. So they're not telling us and, and they don't have to tell us anything, but we don't know what they're thinking, you know, other than it's a fluid situation, you know, with Mayfield and all that. And they could be meaning, once we know what we know, then we'll make a decision. Is it worth bringing Mayfield back if it's a 10-game suspension? Is it worth bringing Mayfield back if it's an eight-game suspension? Is it worth mm-hmm. it six? They might say, no, we'll get through six. We'll get through four. You know, I don't know. Right. Because they're not telling us. And maybe they don't know either. I mean, the biggest thing with this whole situation that a couple of us were talking about at practice is I feel like, they didn't really research this as much as they made it sound like they did, because I really think they are caught off guard by some of this, especially Mm -hmm. if the lawyer for Watson said they didn't know about this person who the 20, they couldn't make a comment because they didn't know enough about the individual. Right. Um, That means I would doubt the Browns knew about it. And It just also, I feel like about the research done was about as much as they did with Johnny Manziel or something, because they they acted like they were totally aghast that this was Johnny Manziel's background, you know, when he got here to the Browns. So I don't know, but that's the question. That's what, you know, like, even if it's a harsh, you know, if they come out and say he's out for the year, he's out for 10 games or 12 games, at least, you know, and then you might see some of the dominoes falling into place. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know if you're going to go spend money to get Garoppolo or, I mean, is, is if you think he's major upgrade over Brissette or Sam Darnold, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that these guys are upgrades. So, you know, they might just go with what they got. I don't know. Yeah, they they might. Uh, I still say, you know, in the Watson pursuit, there is a certain amount of desperation, if you ask me, um, at play with this team trying to get a quarterback during the open window that they have with talented players like Garrett, Ward, Chubb, and others picked up after the tanking years, right? So now they've got this window of opportunity. They absolutely had to have a quarterback capable of taking this team to the Super Bowl and taking advantage of that. And that caused them to go after caused them to go after Watson. Uh, I think the same thing would be true with looking for a replacement quarterback. Uh, if Watson is not available this year, uh, that they would say, hey, we've only got a couple of years. We gotta do what we can, everything we can to try to push us through this playoff window uh, at this point in time. But that's just my But who is that? Who is that? I mean, what are you going to get? I mean, I, I, think that's Garoppolo, that's I, I think Garoppolo showed that he could run a run-heavy offense, you know, fairly effectively. He was not outstanding. He was not in the top 10 of quarterbacks. But he could do what the coaches wanted him to do. And Darnold, I have no faith in, but 
Garoppolo, I think, might be a possibility. Am I crazy? Well, I get I'm, your, I'm crazy. I get your point, but okay, then they would have to switch their offense again. They've spent the whole offseason switching it and tailoring it to three mobile running yeah. type quarterbacks. Yep. And you're going to go back to a drop back passer, you know, and so I don't know if you trade for him, if you can get him for, you know, just playing out his last year or what, but that, that is an option. They might feel like they're backed into the corner without having draft picks and everything. They have to do that. Or they might just go with Jacoby Brissett. I don't, I don't know, but it also shows you, to be honest, even despite what they said about Baker is going back to him if it, as a plan B, how much they wanted to move on from him, that they were more than willing not only to pay $230 million guaranteed, but to take all this black cloud and this. I, I think that they felt, as most teams did, when there was no indictment, that's when it was like a free-for-all. Everybody was all going after you know, um, 13 teams threw their hat in to try to get Watson. And I think most of them would have done about anything they could as well to get him. I haven't went through each team. I don't know how many you could say, but there's probably at least 10 teams that have franchise quarterbacks, I would guess, maybe Mm -hmm. more than that. So say there's 10 to 12, that takes you up to 25, 26 teams. I don't know how many teams just said we're not interested. One would be the Steelers, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the teams that needed a quarterback. But that just shows you the Browns, even though they had an average or above average quarterback, were willing to tarnish their reputation to go all in to get him because they felt when there was no indictment, okay, people will be upset, but but by the first game, everybody will be cool with it. And I don't think they anticipated all this fallout that's been happening and continually coming down. I think everybody, they thought they had a handle on all the accusers, so to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just watching the comments flow, flow through here. Um, And I try to highlight them as they, as they, as they come through. Uh, One question from Fumble. He asked, uh, was Greedy out because of that? shoulder has has green's been full speed during otas hasn't he fred yeah i've we've only had this was our third time right he was there the first two he wasn't there today but it's voluntary they give you no information there's no injury reports there's no updates on anybody they are not mandated to do that until like the first game, you know, the first week of the season. So you, we, you're going to get no information, you know, even Jack Conklin, he's, he's rehabbing, you know, that's all, you know, you don't know, you know what he's doing. He wasn't out on the field. That's why I reported it, but I think he's in the building, meaning Conklin Mayfield wasn't there for obvious reasons. Greedy was not there. No information given it's voluntary. That's all the coach says. You know, as Clowney wasn't there, Garrett wasn't there, Batonia wasn't there, Najoku wasn't there. There was eight of them, counting Mayfield and Conklin. So um, I don't have any reason to believe that it was because of the shoulder. I mean, they haven't been doing anything. He hasn't been hitting anybody unless he fell down and bumped it, you know. Right. I haven't heard anything about that. When he was out there, he was running around and he had no – restrictions that I saw. So I don't think there's any injury at all. These guys have lives too. And sometimes, you know, they, they, they're going to be here all next week because of mandatory. Mm. And I think some of them just weren't there today. Well, one guy who has been hitting the weight room at the very least is miles Garrett and Flint Flossie asked if anyone saw miles squat, uh, 635, three times, um, and I, I did see some of that out there on social media. What do, what do you think about that, Fred? I, I get a little bit nervous seeing these guys push incredible amounts of weight, um, you know, and showing off on social media and stuff because I'm concerned about injury, right? These guys might hurt themselves doing this. Is, is that a realistic concern or are these guys so 
closely supervised that uh, they're not going to do anything unsafe. Well, yeah, last time I looked, there's not any offensive tackle, 635 pounds. So, you know, I don't think you have to necessarily for your job to be able to pick one of them up. But no, I mean, it is a little bit of showboating and stuff. I mean, obviously they're pushing to get their strength. Um, yeah, they are supervised. I Obviously around the Browns, I got a bunch of people. I don't know and wherever they're pro- – pro trainers are and stuff. I'm sure they do have the thing. It's, I don't know why they do it. I mean, anybody that puts that kind of stuff they're they're really just trying to, like I say, show off or you said, you know, same way right. with dunking basketballs and doing things that normal people can't do. But yeah, I would think anytime, you know, you have that amount of weight, anything could happen. You know, you could kind of, I would think you could strain your, your back or, or, worse you know turn you know you get caught wrong with your knee and tear a muscle or tear a a ligament or something but yeah you know but they they've been doing this and that's what they do so right right uh picking up on our quarterback conversation era 79 i'm not sure if he was joking or serious about this maybe you can tell us in the chat era uh but uh he was talking about uh uh fitz magic get a year of Fitch magic back off of retirement. Um, I guess I, I, I don't see that Fred. Uh, he's headed for the broadcast booth, I think. Uh, but you, do you think the Browns would take a, a chance on, you know, looking outside the box like that? Yeah, I don't know. He seems like a guy that just kind of like Josh McCown. If, if he had a team interested, he'd probably sign another one year deal. I mean, they, he just, I thought he was done a long time ago, but he just kind of kept yeah. resurrecting. He could come back. I don't know, but I, I, I just, I think they'd go with Brissett before they would bring him back. I mean, I don't look at him as an improvement over Brissett. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to knock Brissett down. With all these weapons, he could really be good if he doesn't turn the ball over and with the running game and stuff. But I'm just saying, I don't know if he's you know, the elite quarterback that you thought you were getting, obviously. And I think, you know, if, if the Browns would have, you know, I know the Browns, there's a lot of things with Mayfield, but I don't think they would have said we would rather have Brissett over Mayfield 50, 50, all things being equal. I don't think if that was the choice, they would have picked him over Mayfield. I think that they had an opportunity they had to make a move quick and they, they went all in and they ended up getting him. And now, you know, they're dealing with some of the fallout, you know, from that decision. Yeah. They, well, they certainly are. They certainly are. They're trying to avoid talking about it as much as possible. Um, that's for we sure. We haven't even talked to him. Ozzy, he had his initial press conference, which was just a kind of a defense thing. And there's been no availability or anything with him. And that's the voice of your organization. You know, the quarterback is the face of the, the team. You know, we talk to Mayfield all the time because, because that's who you always talk to. Right. Right. Uh, We have a a comment here from uh, Hacko 84 that I want to get to. Uh, He says, as a lifelong Browns fan, I am sad to say this team is a train wreck train wreck going after Watson was pure desperation is going to blow up in their face dramatically. The owner is the problem. Look at his past Disney business dealings way to alienate the fan base just to get a QB too much drama. Uh, Hacko says now I can't comment on Jimmy Haslam's business dealings. Uh, I I don't know a great deal about them. Uh, But as I said, in the newswire this morning, I want answers, right? I want to know how this decision was made to go after this guy and what the rationale was and what the Browns knew, what the Browns didn't know. One thing that's important with that 24th case that you talked about, Fred, is that his own defense team seemed to be like, what? We never heard of this person before, which means that Deshaun didn't tell them about that person. And if Deshaun didn't tell the Browns certain things that are important, um, who knows what that means? Who knows what it means? I just want to throw that out there. But Hacko, I, 
I understand your frustration. And uh, honestly, as a guy who follows this team 24 seven, um, I feel your pain. Certainly. Um, e. Gillen, well, go yeah. ahead, Fred. I was just going to say, I mean, if forget the context, but just if I had 66 people I met, I probably couldn't remember, you know, a lot of, our conversations with him. So I don't know how he'd remember, you know, you know, and he probably wouldn't bring up every, you know, all he was dealing with was the ones that came forth and accused him, you know? So, you know, it's, it's very unfortunate. And obviously there's a pattern of behavior here. And I think, again, I think there was some, I'm not sure, but I think Harden, the lawyer, was involved with the pilot flying J case, you know, mm-hmm. that helped that he his business was able to get out. Right. And quite well known lawyer. And I think that this is just my guess, is that he told them that there's no indictments, there's gonna be some civil, you know, repercussions, but it's good to go without the criminal indictment. You know, because now right. it's just money and fall out on negative PR. And so whether that is what happened or not, you know, but it seemed like that's when it all went crazy was about immediately after the no criminal indictments, you know, because yeah. as long as he's not in jail, he can play football. That's when the vultures really started circling uh, Deshaun Watson, you know, uh, and uh so many people chasing him. And now I, I bookmarked a story from today about the Saints and the Falcons saying missing out on this is the best thing that ever happened to us. But they wanted Watson too. All kinds of people did. At any rate, uh, E. Gillen says, can Mayfield even run the new offense that Stefanski's putting in? I'm sort of saying the same thing you said, Fred, in terms of uh, they're building around this mobile quarterback and uh, Mayfield wouldn't be a fit even if everything was hunky-dory. Yeah, and uh, that's why they might have to change it up a little bit if if it's Brissett for the long haul for the year. Um, you might go back a little more and rely on Chubb and Hunt, but you also have a guy who's mobile, and you can roll him out, and he could dump the ball to the backs, the tight ends, and so forth just not the the way maybe Watson can. And so that's what it makes no sense to me to go away from what you've been installing all off season and go back to a completely different skill set. That's really why they traded Keenum because they knew they were going away from that style of us offense with Mayfield and Keenum and Nick Mullins, you know, they didn't keep Mullins either who was, there for the taking, you know, and after you had him all year and he knew the system. So, yeah, I think they've kind of went down this road. And if it's not Watson, then they might have to get back in the market and draft, you know, somebody with that skill set. Because Mm -hmm. I, I do think that this is, you know, what they were planning on, even if it's for a year, even if the whole year's Brissett and they get Watson back next year, you know, then they have everybody, and he, you just plug in the new quarterback. Right. Well, you know, the, the scary thing is that um, assuming Watson's gone, whether it's a half season or a full season, we are continually one play away from having Josh Dobbs as our quarterback, right? And I would think that if the Watson suspension comes through, they'll be out there looking for someone with that skill set, you know, the Brissett-Dobbs skill set, uh, to come in and help buttress that, you know, quarterback room. Kind of a frightening proposition. Uh, but F- Fumble 13 looks at uh, the more positive side of things, and he says, do you believe if the defense lives up to its abilities, we can still be a, a playoff team with Brissett playing eight games? What do you think about that, Fred? Well, I do think that's a good point. I mean, last year the defense in the second half of the season – you know, started showing signs of being a dominant defense. Sure, early in the year they gave up a lot of points, but in the last, I don't know, 11 games, I think the most they gave up 
They only gave up over 26 points once. Um, most of the time they were closer to the 20 range or less. And with this offense, I said it last year, it was on the offense to outscore the other team and the offense let them down. Whether you want to blame it all on Baker Mayfield um, or Odell Beckham or the combination or whatever, but it let them down. The offensive line had key injuries and I think the defense is going to be fine. You get, you're returning nine of 11 starters. The mm-hmm. only two you don't have are the two defensive tackles. And, you know, I don't know. It sounded like they probably were going to move on from them both anyway because they didn't play right. that well. So maybe Taven Bryan with a new chance and Perry and Winfrey and uh, Jordan Elliott with a chance or Togiai. We'll, we'll be able to be just as good. So I don't see a drop-off. In fact, I see more depth on the defense now because they've been in the system and you added some more guys at end. The key was getting Clowney back. So you got the two defensive ends. And Jacob Phillips is back. I think he's going to be the starter with JOK and the two linebacker sets. Mm-hmm. And, and you got your corners. You got Newsom and Ward and Williams and Green and – Emerson. And so I just think all the way around with the safeties, Delpit and a year into the system and Ronnie Harrison back and John Johnson has really looked good. He's looking like what he was advertised because he's playing more in the position that he did with the Rams. He's had an interception, I think, in all three of the OTAs I've seen today he had one, you know, picked off Watson for a touchdown it was seven on sevens, but he looks pretty good too. And so, yeah, I think the defense are good and the special teams you upgrade. This has been overlooked. You got Cade York, Corey Bajorquez and Jakeem Grant. Jakeem Grant's a pro bowl returner and Bajorquez should be an upgrade in punting because Gillen was bad and York, you know, has got to be an upgrade. And I contend they lost four games partly because of special teams last year. Right. So if this defense can keep in games and special teams, close games, I think Brissett can manage, you know, and they could hold down the fort. If it's a, you know, even an eight game suspension, I think you got to come out of there no worse than three and five because with nine games to go, maybe you can, you know, most of these, I don't know what the Bengals won the division with last year, but it wasn't that far ahead of the Browns. It was like 11 and six or 10 and it was only like a game or two ahead of the Browns who are eight and nine. So it's all about your division. And I think most of the division games are in the second half of the season. Right. Uh, By the way, we have 10 minutes left in the show. Uh, We have exhausted the questions you have provided. So now you're stuck with mine, and I'm going to ask Fred about Isaiah Weston here in just a second. Uh, It gives you an idea of the sort of questions I have. Uh, So please fire off any remaining questions that you have uh, for Fred, and we'll deal with them here in the last uh, 10 minutes. And uh, I'm going to talk about wide receivers, Fred. I want to talk about wide receivers uh, for a little bit. Um, You wrote an article today about uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones gunning for a starting role. Um, I thought in my mind, DPJ was set as the number two, but do you think that there are some players who might take those starting snaps away from him? Well, I think it all depends on, they're just to me showing a lot of faith in him because he's the logical you had last year, Beckham and Landry. We all know what happened Beckham never really got going and and was cut or released and Landry was injured and had a down season. You get Cooper. So say, okay, that replaces the the Beckham. Your number two Landry um, people's Jones has shown in the first two years, glimpses of being, you know, a, a real productive receiver. And I think that is the faith. He has shown more than anybody else that's on the roster that's coming back. So by default to me, he's the second receiver, but you don't know what you really have. And Anthony Schwartz, he talked today about, 
you know, really dedicated. The off season feels hundred percent, you know, normal mm-hmm. or comfortable and all that now, but you don't know until you see them and you don't know what you really have in these undrafted guys. David Bell to me is the likely, you know, guy in the mix. So for the starter, you got people's Jones, Bell, uh, and, and Schwartz. And then you could throw in Jamarcus Bradley because he's been around for two years, showed little glimpses just because that's the logical. You can't say Isaiah West, an undrafted guy, you're ready to put him in as the starting wide receiver. Right. Same way you can't do it with, you know, Michael Woods, sixth or seventh rounder. I mean, even, I mean, just, just by pure where you drafted or, or what you did them did to get them. It's logical. This is the third year in the process that you're expecting people's Jones to emerge as that player. That's why you drafted him. And that's why you have slowly developed him. So mm-hmm. he's the logical one. The third one, they're all kind of up in the air because we haven't really seen anything out of bell at the NFL level. We haven't seen Schwartz really at the NFL level seen more than anything with people's Jones. So to me, that's what I think they're expecting him to seize that job. If the preseason training camp's a disaster, then, you know, then they may look, you know, to see who's available in a trade or whatever. But you're also seeing Felton, you know, who there was talk that he was just going to be a running back. He's the last two weeks has been with the wide receiver. So maybe now they're seeing it's more of a fit in the wide receiver room for him because we're not that sure our depth as well as we have more depth at running back. So Mm. um, that's, that's, I'm just, I just think the logical guys, people's Jones, if, if he takes a step back, that's going to really hurt because Bell, you can, you can draft him in the third round, but you know, you wouldn't, uh, if you really thought he was a sure shot starter, you wouldn't have traded down. You would have traded up, you know, right. you know, in the second round to make sure you got him. So, right. you know, you got, he was there. So you took him, felt good about him and he could really be, you know, a really good find, but you don't know, you know, you don't know what you have in Schwartz, you know, could be ready to turn the corner, but he may not. I don't know if Jakeem Grant, you know, he's a veteran you signed, but I really think he's a, he's a returner. I mean, yeah. he's five, five, six. So I, I see him in the gadget role, the reverses, if, if they have him in the offense, not really, you know, doing a lot on the wide receiver front. Right. I, I one of the questions that sort of bounced back and forth with the uh, OBR team, uh, one of the things that we talk about in our, our little chat channel uh, is who's going to be the first uh, Andrew Berry draft pick to get cut. He isn't, none of them have been cut so far. Uh, and I unfortunately have to say that I'm putting my money on Felton because he just doesn't seem to rise to starter at either running back or uh, at uh, wide receiver. Now, that could change perhaps if Kareem Hunt or Darnus Johnson get traded. Um, but uh, right now, I, I just – I don't see him making the cut. But do you see him maybe making it a wide receiver? You think he's got a shot? Well, yeah, like you said, a lot depends on injuries and, and movement with the top or the second and third running back, Hunt and Johnson, what they do with them. Um, but – he is versatile. He can do a lot of things. A lot of these mm-hmm. guys are going to come down to special teams. Um, I haven't looked at the roster of all the guys, you know, drafted, but, you know, so far I haven't seen much with Tony Fields. I don't know if they'd give up with him too early, but guys from the first year he drafted. Um, but as far as, you know, I would say Felton would be in the mix. Um, yeah. From this year's draft – I don't know how Deaton can make the team. I mean, I think for sure he'd be a practice squad guy. Right. But I don't – some of the draft picks this year, I just don't know how to make the team just because the roster's so strong. So 
some of the lower picks to me, I think are fighting for practice squad positions, mm. but um, just popping up without looking or seeing the names of all the ones drafted. Yeah. I think Felton might be a candidate, but like I said, fields from last year, didn't, he was really didn't do anything. I haven't even right. heard his name much. Uh, <clears throat> he was supposed to be kind of a smaller version of JOK. And so if he, if he's, he better have a good training camp, <clears throat> but haven't heard much on LeCount, haven't heard much on, you know, some of the other ones, but haven't really looked too hard yet. At yeah. Those. Let's, uh, let's wrap this up on a positive note. Uh, mm-hmm. Romeo Crennel, uh recently retired after a good long career, I think 39 years in the NFL. And back when Romeo was the, co- the head coach, uh, I would go out to uh, uh, Berea at times, which fortunately to save the OBR embarrassment, I no longer do. Um, but it struck me that, that Cronell was, a, he just seemed like a genuinely nice guy. He seemed like a genuinely good guy. And he seemed very self-aware of uh, the role of a coach and that, yeah, he won't make it if he has bad season, you know, and all those things. And he would joke about it. Um, I just I have to ask you, do you think Cornell is, is the nicest coach that you've, in, in terms of just general friendliness and so on and so forth, uh, that you've ever had the privilege to cover? Oh, he's right up there. I mean, Jim Schaffner was a really nice guy. It was over his head when he took over for Bud Carson back in the, like 89 or 90 season, right. I think it was. Um, there's been some, I think Sam Ortigliano is probably the, might be the nicest ever. I mean, he called us, he called me by name, he called me at home, checking on the family, wrote notes when my daughter had leukemia. And this is 20 some years after, you know, he was even there, but Romeo, um, I thought he was tremendously nice guys, almost like a teddy bear, he would, I think he's one of those guys that were a great lieutenant, but maybe not a good head coach. I mean, mm-hmm. Bill Belichick, everybody knew in the heyday, Bill Belichick was running that defense and got down when things needed corrected. But Romeo carried out those orders. And so by proximity, he got became a head coach. But he was involved with the Braylon Edwards. If you remember, they were running around with no shoes on and I don't know if Mm -hmm. it's Winslow. Somebody stepped on his foot and spiked him. And, you know, his answer was, well, kids will be kids, you know. And he wasn't much of a disciplinarian, you know. He just kind of let them do what what they wanted to. And so, you know, that's – he is. He was a kind of a grandfatherly type guy, very nice guy, very easy to get along with. But I don't know if that's the guy you need as a head coach sometimes. And that's probably why he didn't last that long or was that successful in that role. Right. It, it, it always seemed to me like the model coaching carousel was always a nice cuddly coach followed by a, a, a hard ass, followed by, you know, okay, well, we're going to do a little bit less discipline. We're going to do more discipline. They just keep going back and forth. Uh, but Rack certainly seemed like a great guy, and uh, congratulations, obviously, to him on his retirement. Uh, well deserved uh, after all these years, and that'll do it for us. We're going to wrap it up here, and thanks for sharing your wisdom as always, friend. Good talking with you. And uh, next week when we talk, uh, you'll have a couple of days of traversing the Northeast Ohio area to take in a mandatory minicamp. So I look forward to talking about that. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody. Good night, everybody. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.